0: Welcome, everyone, to this special edition of the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Witcher, and today we are live with thousands of parents, teachers, admins, and therapists who are making critical IEP decisions for remote learning. For those of you that don't know, I have been in the field for over two decades, working with IEP teams to build better special education programs to really prepare a child for further education, employment, independent living. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into critical mistakes and critical decisions that need to be made during this unprecedented time in special education. So if you are watching this live, I would love for you to go ahead and put in the comments, where are you watching from? Now, everything we're going to talk about today absolutely applies across the nation. This is not state-specific information. This is not school district-specific information. This is for everybody who is working on IEPs, everybody who sits at that IEP table and is really struggling with what needs to happen next because so much has happened in the past. So I can see we we have Janet from Surprise, Arizona. I love Arizona. Gemma from Naperville, Alexandra from North Carolina. We've got Anne from Michigan, Joey from Chicago. Hello, Hannah, Shelly, Sandy. It's great to see all of you here. So here's how this is gonna work because there's so many of you that are gonna be here go ahead and put your question in the comments at any point in time. There are master IEP coaches here watching with you. In fact, I just named off a few of them. And they're going to be able to help you understand what you need to do next for that question that you're asking and how you can work with us beyond this time we have here together. So go ahead and start posting your questions below. But I want to get started on these Five decisions that we need to make. Now, for those of you that don't know, I have been in the special education community, I told you professionally, for a really long time. I've been in the special needs community my entire life. My brother has Down syndrome, and I watched my family navigate the education system. I decided that I didn't want other people to have to struggle the way that my family struggled. So, I went to become a special education teacher. I went and got my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, got five different teaching certificates, and I went into the classroom just wanting to change the world. And then I got to see what happened behind the scenes. And it's different than what anybody expects when they go into the teaching field. It's definitely different than what a parent experiences on the outside of the system, trying to work with the system. It's a whole different experience. So what I found myself doing was teaching by day and then coaching parents at night. And then I found myself helping out the administration and helping out the therapist and helping out other teachers to build better IEPs, to get through IEP meetings without conflict or without getting stuck on one topic for an hour, You know, to really work on the purpose of an IEP together. So let's start right there. Anybody who's been with me here for a while knows that Everything that I teach is rooted in the purpose and findings of IDEA law. That's the federal law that's governing a child's education, and it has a lot to do with our decisions that we're making for remote learning. So inside of the purpose and findings of IDEA law, it says that the purpose of an IEP is to provide a free and appropriate public education. We've all heard that, right? We call it FAPE. For short, F-A-P-E, so Free and Appropriate Public Education. It also says that we need to meet a child's unique needs and that we need to prepare a child for further education, employment, and independent living. Now, that's my favorite part. Unfortunately, that's not where a lot of the focus goes. A lot of the focus goes into that word appropriate. We need this appropriate education. And then we spend our time really negotiating over what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. I like to take that question one step further and say, okay, but, you know, whether it's appropriate or not appropriate, let's let's step back for a minute and say, is this something that is really important for a child to be prepared for further education, employment, independent living? This gets me to my first big decision and big mistake that is happening inside of remote learning decisions. Now, when I say remote learning, I actually mean anything that's happening right now. We've got a lot of students that are hybrid we got students that are 100 percent distance learning. We've got students that are going onto campus, but it looks very different because the rest of the school body is not on campus. So there's a lot of different things that's happening. And one of the biggest struggles And let's just um, really talk about our our distance learning, uh, our hybrid plans right now. One of the biggest struggles is that we're trying to take what was appropriate before and fit it into the new delivery model. I'm gonna challenge you today to really step back and go to that purpose and findings of the IEP concept of yes, this needs to be appropriate. We need to prepare a child for further education, employment, independent living and is what's appropriate before to meet those goals. I'm not talking about your IEP goals. Those goals of being prepared for the future is what was appropriate before appropriate now because we built an IEP in a completely different time. We built an IEP where we had different books on the shelves. We had different support surrounding. We had different things that are happening. Now, you can't tell me that everything that a child needs is inside of an IEP document. There's no way. I've been writing these for too long. I know it. In fact, there shouldn't be. Because remember I told you, I have a brother with Down syndrome. I know that his needs extended beyond the piece of paper that we had that said, hey, he's gonna work on these five things, right? It, it, the piece of paper, the IEP, it had five things, 10 things that he needed to be working on. But really my brother had 25 things, 35 things, 50 things that he could have been working on. So they chose the best things possible at that time to work on inside of the IEP document. Does that mean that the other needs weren't important? No. So this means that here we are in this time of remote learning or making some some changes to the delivery model. If your child, your students have 50 things that they could be working on, why are we struggling with the five things that we were focused on in a different delivery model right now? Could we reprioritize what needs to happen so we can still be giving an appropriate education, but we would be focused on different skills that are needed for further education, employment, and independent living? Now, I'm not saying that we can't go back to other skills if needed. I'm not saying that we can't work on other skills that we were working on in school and in the home environment or in the hybrid type environment. But what I am saying is stop trying to force something that is meant to be taught in a totally different environment, in a home environment, because there are other needs that could be met. In fact, there are needs that we could be working on that are appropriate to be working on now that would never get worked on at school, but would have a huge long-term benefit. Let's talk about that just for a second. Let me give you guys a concrete example of how something that may not have been a focus in the IEP when it was written before pandemic times and what it could look like now. So typically in special education, we're working a lot on building independence. Is that true, right? right, Guys, go ahead and put down in the comments there, are you guys working on independence at some level into doing independent math, independent reading, independent morning routine. Let's go with that one right now. So when a child's at school, they go through a morning routine. Before they get to school, there's a morning routine, right? There's a lot of morning routines that are rushed that we don't have time to slow down and work on each piece because we got to get to the bus. or We got to get to the carpool lane. We got to get to the next stop. We got to get to the next class. We got to get to the Pledge of Allegiance. We got to get to art class. We got to get to different places, right? Hurry, hurry, hurry. Go. You know, we're doing the best we can to teach independence, but we got to go. That bus is showing up or that next class is going to start you 100% can focus on independence in this type of learning environment at a slower pace that could create more mastery than before. It will feel like it's going slow. It will feel like we're not getting anywhere. But parents, this is where you reach out to the teens. Teens, this is where you reach out to the parents and you start talking about those details of the morning routine and how do you build independence. And guess what? This morning routine of independence is absolutely going to carry over for when things get back to whatever the new normal is going to look like. This is a lifelong skill that's gonna be helpful now It's going to be helpful when we get back to school and it's going to be helpful in further education, employment, and independent living. It's an area that an IEP team should be skilled to support a parent in. It's something that benefits the parent because think about it, you guys, go through it right now. Go through that kind of painful process of just slowing it down step by step, keeping the expectations high, expectations really high, okay? For this morning routine, for being independent, for following that visual schedule, for getting things checked off their list, keep the expectations high, slow down, make it happen. And eventually that process will speed up a little bit and it'll become more independent. And one of these days you're going to realize that you're multitasking, doing something else while your child or your student is following their routine without extensive prompts, without needing hand over hand, without needing extensive redirection. So that's a way that we can take what was appropriate. And we were kind of working on it at school and we were doing the best that we could, but you know what? We're on a schedule. We got to go, go, go. And now we can work on that in a whole different way. We can expand what we're working on and make this appropriate for distance learning. And it will have multiple benefits if we work towards that. So that's mistake. Number one, decision number one is trying to take everything that was planned to be in the school day and fit it into the home day without really deciding what other skills might there be that maybe we could have even picked for the IEP or we could expand on here now in this current situation that we wouldn't have that benefit if we were in the school system right now, okay? In that that typical school day. So um, I wanna go ahead and jump in. I see that we've got a lot of people here and I see Shelly is who's a master IEP coach is down there answering some questions. Anna, how you doing? Denise is here. She's a master IEP coach. Um, She's down there. Um, We have a lot of people that said, yes, they're definitely working on independence and they're definitely um, need their child to be able to be more independent during this morning routine. So yeah, let's definitely consider How can we use this time as an opportunity to expand that? All right, so let's jump into a little bit of what's happening legally. Because who's been hearing a lot of things going around the Facebook and Instagram social media rumor mill that a district has to do something right now. They have to provide something in a distance learning plan. They have to do this. They have to do this. They have to do this. Let me just clear this up. Anybody who is giving you information of what a school district has to do, because the law says so in the... Um, In the context of a distance learning plan, remote learning decisions is not giving you correct information. Now, they're not doing this on purpose. All right. They're really not. There's a lot of false information that's coming from, I would say, what sometimes is considered reliable sources. And it's not true. So we have our ideal law. We just talked about that, right? Further education, employment, independent living, appropriate education, meeting unique needs. Um, You guys, this law was founded back in 1975. It's actually not that old, but it's old, okay? And it hasn't changed a whole lot. And now we hit this pandemic, and you would think that maybe we'd get some more guidance from the higher-ups, over in our government and say, okay, listen, we've got this this law that says that your child gets this appropriate education and this is happening. So let us help you clarify this. Mm, That kind of happened, but not really. So on March 21st, we got a letter from OSEP, which is the Office of Special Education Programs that basically said, FAPE, your free and appropriate public education is still in play. All right, we're not changing the law. There's nothing about the law that's gonna change. However, FAPE needs to be provided um, in a way that uh, it shows best efforts. And I'm summarizing here because you can go look up, in fact, go ahead and write this down. You can look up um, March 21st, uh, letter from OSEP, O-S-E-P, special education. They will definitely, you'll, you'll see it in the Google search. You can read through all of it. But it really says faith still applies, but what was appropriate before is not necessarily appropriate now. And the law says you need an appropriate education. So that's what we just chatted about, right? We're gonna have to redefine appropriate. And we need to get on a plan. Again, I'm not saying lowering expectations. I'm not saying giving up. I'm not saying not working on anything. I'm saying that there are opportunities to change that uh, focus of appropriate and OSEP, our Office of Special Education Programs, absolutely supports changing up appropriate. So, what I'm saying here is that you can't just say, as a school district, you know, here was the IEP, oh, online learning's not working, sorry, there's no education to be had. No. So let's change up what's appropriate. This through the computer screen, you know, teacher to student is not working, but we need to do something else. We need to redefine appropriate. We need to get creative. We need to find a plan. Our letter from OSAP absolutely supports that. Now it doesn't mandate many tries you need to give it. It doesn't mandate data that needs to be taken. It doesn't mandate documentation that needs to be had. It doesn't mandate any piece of this process. It just says that an appropriate education still should be provided, and what was appropriate before uh, may not be appropriate. Now, figure it out. (laughs) It's basically what it's saying. Now, on June 22nd, uh, our office of special education programs, OSEP sent another clarification of like, well, what do you do if this isn't working? You know, do timelines still apply? Well, kind of, unless there's extenuating circumstances. Um, yeah, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances right now. Absolutely, there are. So, um, can we extend the timeline if we agree to extend the timeline? We, meaning school and home. Yep, absolutely can. What should we do if we disagree with what's happening? OSEP, and again, remember that's Office of Special Education Programs, and that's the government talking here, says, well, it'd be really great if you would try to collaboratively work that out. All right, so I need you guys to really understand that there's been no change to FAPE, but there's been encouragement to change what FAPE looks like. And you absolutely need to keep track of what is being tried, what is not working, what is working, what has been adjusted, and none of this requires an official IEP meeting. What? Let me say that again. So none of this requires an official IEP meeting, nothing that I've just talked about. So let's let's go back to that example of that morning visual routine. Can we assume that if a child needs to work on being independent in their routines, that there's something about that in the IEP already? And we're just gonna expand on that at home. If you document that expansion, meaning you have teacher notes, you have meeting notes, you have um, emails going back and forth. We have data sheets that were put together to start tracking things just a little bit different in addition to what was already listed in the IEP. You're absolutely okay to start making these switches without waiting for an IEP meeting. Nowhere in any of these letters from March 21st or June 22nd from the Office of Special Education Programs, who are the people that help us figure out what IDEA really means. None of this says, well, you can do these things, but first have an IEP meeting and make sure everybody's on the same page. No, it's been a huge mistake for teams to wait to have IEP meetings, to make adjustments that do not require an IEP meeting. It's like we have this big long line of just people waiting to get on a Zoom call so they can talk about something that everybody already agreed on. And for some reason, everybody thinks that if we all show up and just put our face on the camera at the same time and say, yes, we agree, let's go ahead, let's move forward, I'll make the paperwork and I'll send you over a copy, but that, that meeting absolutely had to happen. In many uh, instances, That did not have to happen. We could have done a paperwork shuffle. We could have had emails, we could have documented things, we could have moved on. And when the IEP meeting happened next, whether that was in, you know, two months from now or six months from now, we'd have a ton of information, a ton of of data. Now, could we do a um, paperwork shuffle officially and put an addendum in the IEP? Sure can. Can we do a paperwork shuffle and, um, you know, adjust some minutes and some delivery? Mm, You could, But this is where I'm gonna come up with our mistake number three. There is zero reason that the core IEP document needs to change based on the current situation in a way that would require us to change it back, okay? So I'm seeing a lot of mistakes in this. I'm seeing a lot of teams go sit down at the virtual IEP table and The child was supposed to be getting 30 minutes of speech a week. And this uh, current situation has made it impossible for the child to get 30 minutes of speech a week. And everybody has agreed that they're gonna do a 15 minute session once a week. There is no reason to change the IEP to 15 minutes per week just so we can change it back when they go back into school. This is absolutely where we could put an addendum into the IEP that says during distance learning, this will occur. And you know the rest of the IEP is absolutely in effect when the child goes back to school. Stop changing the IEP permanently as in it's going to affect the child when they go back to school in a negative way, just because of what's happening right now. Cut it out, don't do it, (laughs) don't make those changes. Now, we could put in additional accommodations and modifications, we can put in a distance learning plan, we can make changes for if this happens then, okay? We can absolutely add onto, we can clarify, but we do not need to change the IEP and say, okay to make sure that we are doing everything according to FAPE, that we're doing this appropriate education, that we're meeting unique needs. We need to change this entire document because the child's at home right now. But we know that eventually they're coming back to school because they need to change it all back again. So just stop doing that. If you've got questions about that, please go ahead and post that below. And for those of you that um, are listening to the podcast version of this and you can't post below, I want to make sure that you know that you can hop on over to the special ed inner circle.com. I know I'm scrolling through the comments here. I'm looking at what's happening and I see a lot of master IP coaches that are directing you over to the specialedinnercircle.com. You absolutely can get your questions answered more in depth. I'll be answering some of them right now, but you can get them answered more in depth. Or if you're watching or listening to the replay of this, you want to hop on over to special ed inner circle. That is where we have nationwide master IEP coaches that are trained experts in this IEP process to help you get through your decisions to help alleviate your stress to help give you the hope and the strategies that you've been looking for to get out of the negative cycle that's happening in special education right now. Yes, things are falling apart, but parents, teachers, therapists, you guys, are some of the most creative people I have ever known in my entire life. And you have the ability to put special education back together better than it was before. But you got to get some strategies. You got to get some support. You got to get some help. And I want to encourage you to come on over to the SpecialEdInnerCircle.com and You'll see what that help is, how we're going to support you through giving you critical IEP updates. We're going to support you through IEP meetings. We're going to help you really make the tough decisions. So five years from now, you're going to be able to say, you know what? I made the best decision possible with the information I had and I had a lot of information. So let me go ahead and. Um, take a couple of questions here. Jeanette says, yes, slowing down and the morning routine is such a valuable, applicable area of importance. How can the team help with this? So Jeanette, if there's um, reward systems that perhaps the school can suggest that might work to help alleviate frustration at home as you're moving towards this process of becoming more independent, also helping you really set Um, realistic expectations of the independent activities and and how independent a child's going to be. So a lot of times we either underestimate or overestimate what can be done in a certain amount of time. So your team has a wealth of experience working with many different children with many different ability levels, and they can help say, you know what? Mm, I think your child could do a little bit more. Let's push a little bit in this area. I really think that they could do more for the breakfast routine than what you are expecting of them. Let's try this, and they'll give you some suggestions. Or they might say, you know what? One of the reasons your child's having meltdowns is because you're asking them to do three steps And really we need to break that down to one step at a time so they can help walk through and give some parent coaching in that. The other thing is, is they can be a visual support themselves. So maybe some of their time that they're going to spend on the screen or doing a FaceTime call type thing with a student can be talking about expectations and sharing visuals. And really the teacher having a set of visuals, the child having a set of visuals, the same visuals at home and at school to really walk them through expectations that can happen too. So there's a lot of different ways that the team can get involved in supporting the parent and encouraging the child, supporting the child in what happens next. There's also an opportunity for let's just say Um, We're talking about this breakfast routine and we're talking about pouring cereal and pouring milk and being independent in that. The teacher absolutely can demonstrate this through the screen and they could have a bowl of cereal together. So there's a lot of creative ways that um, we can work together on that. Let's see. Jessica, who's a master IP coach, she's sharing that she is definitely expanding on executive functioning goals at home. For those of you that don't know about executive functioning, those are just words that really describe the ability to stay organized, stay on task, get things done, um, do something from start to finish. So executive functioning at school, a lot of times a child who struggles with executive functioning struggles with remembering to turn in their homework or writing down their homework or bringing the right book to class, making sure they have the right tools. Those are all things that we have to do at home too. So working on executive functioning is absolutely something that works in both environments and has a huge um, effect long-term. Alexandria, who is a master IP coach, she says um, lots of have to rumors flying around, provoking fear and anxiety in parents. Absolutely. So you might have noticed that we like silver linings, us as master IEP coaches. And I know I keep on using this term master IEP coach. Let me just share with you guys real quick. If you um, have never heard the term master IEP coach, you want to know how to become a master IEP coach. You just want to figure out what this is all about. You can head over to master Coach.com and you'll see how the master IEP coaches were trained, what they do and how you can be a part of the master IEP coach community. All right. So a lot of have you know, we have to do these things and you have to fight the school and you have to expect them to do um, whatever other people are putting out there. Right. That fear and that anxiety is something that you don't need. You need strategies to get through this. You need solutions. Let me just share a little bit about how to move to the front of the line when it talk, when I'm talking about your child or even your students, this is for both parents and teachers, team members. Okay. If you say this is a problem, fix it. You get pushed to the back of the line because they have to figure it all out. Yep. I know you're angry just like everybody else. You don't have the tools you need just like everybody else. You're frustrated. There's a lot going on. Yep. We get it. Now, if you bring a problem, to the table, and by to the table, I mean through an email (laughs) or or through one of your meetings and say, listen, this is a struggle and there's really two or three different ways we can handle it. One, two, or three. What do you think is best? Now somebody didn't have to find a solution from scratch. Your problem typically moves to the front of the line because it feels like an easier solution. So, for example, if we went back to the morning routine example. It's, you know what, our current um, goal that we're working on with transitioning from activity to activity is not working. So we really just want to focus on the morning routine. So what I'd like to do is, and this could be the parent or this could be the teacher talking to the rest of the team. What we'd like to do is uh, change the visuals, to all support morning routine. Let's talk about what expectations we should have. Let's support the parent in what she should be expecting. Let's make sure that our sessions coordinate. So speech, OT, teacher are all talking about the same types of things, because you know what? If we all get on the same page, we actually get to see progress and momentum happen much faster for a child in there. So I want you to really be solutions based. So this have to anxiety and fear that's being put out there, this has to be done. Go tell them this needs to happen. Go tell them that your child has to have 30 minutes of speech no matter what. I don't care what it takes. Now, I'm not saying that we let things go that are super important for preparing a child for further education, employment, independent living. However, reality is if you're not allowed to walk into the school for speech therapy, then you're not allowed to walk in the school for speech therapy. So we need to say, okay, so we've got a couple of different solutions. One, uh, we could go to the speech therapy office down the street from our house and the school could reimburse us. What? Is that actually a possibility? Yes. Yes, it is. When I say yes, it's a possibility. Let me clarify. I am not saying yes, your school has to do this. What I'm saying is that that has been a solution that many families are using across the nation to help supplement school and to take The pressure off of figuring out the screen time is actually by compromising and saying, instead of 30 minutes of school therapy, which would have been in a group setting, okay, we'll take, and that's per week, we'll take 30 minutes twice a month with our speech therapist down the street. So they've compromised and that's it. That's going to meet the services. There's going to be no talk of any type of compensatory education or anything else because our mistake that we're doing is that we're waiting for things to get back to normal so we can start talking about compensatory education and making up all the services and doing all the things that haven't been happening for the last few months. You know what? And that's not gonna work. How many of you guys feel completely overloaded by all the things that need to get done when you feel behind, right? So think about how our children and our students feel where it's like, get back to school, let's catch up. Catch up to what? We've all been in this situation together. We are not on the same timeline that we were six months ago. It's not about being behind. It's about moving forward. So if you think that you're gonna sit around and wait for things to get back to normal, and then you're going to going to address everything that was missed and then go for compensatory services to make it all up, that's not going to happen. Again, those two letters that I just mentioned to you from OSEP, the Office of Special Education Programs, compensatory education should be considered in some situations. That's it. That's no different than it is any other time. And compensatory education. Let me clarify for those of you that have never been through this compensatory um, education negotiation before. It is not minute for minute. You don't get something like my child missed 300 speech minutes, so I want 300 speech minutes. First of all, where's your child going to fit those in the day? Who's going to be delivering them? Is it really going to be effective if we pound that on top of everything else? Now, should we look at how to move forward? And if some additional support needs to happen, some additional instruction, if something needs to be adjusted, absolutely but we don't need to talk about it in terms of compensatory education for majority of the families. Now, some of you guys just went, but my child's sitting at home with no services. Okay, well, you need to go through those first steps that we just talked about. You need to start redefining appropriate. You need to start adjusting the IEP. You need to start getting your team together so you guys can move forward because we're not gonna sit around and wait for compensatory education in conflict. We're gonna come to the table with solutions and ideas to make things work so a child can be prepared for further education, employment, independent living, even if it looks different than what it did six months ago. We cannot sit around and wait. So you are exhausted from trying to get this old plan to work in the current reality. It is okay to come up with a new plan. All right, I've got some notes here because I wanted to make sure some of you guys filled out the form and I said, what is your biggest special education struggle? So I wanna make sure that I address some of those in these upcoming mistakes. Here's one of the biggest mistakes that's happening. We are leaving the student out of the decision-making. We are not encouraging our distance learning plans to be based on a child's strengths and to help them learn to self-advocate. Who's struggling at home with their student or their children right now in getting them to tell you what they need? How do they feel? What do they need? What needs to happen next in their day for them to participate and have a good day and find the joy in learning and have their family time or get along with their siblings or make it through the grocery store? Self-advocacy and basing a distance learning plan on student strengths is critical. Here's what's happening right now, and I'm just gonna talk real blunt about some of the things that's going through a special needs family's mind right now. Whether they're talking about it or they're not talking about it, there's a glimpse of the future that's happening right now, and parents' biggest fears are getting confirmed. The world is not set up for my child, including my child is more difficult than any of us ever imagined. My child is being left behind and nobody cares. This is what parents in the adult disability community deal with every day. I want you guys just to think back just a little bit. I just said that the ideal law was enacted in 1975. That means that it's only 45 years old. For the past 45 years, children with disabilities have been given an education that still makes this brand new. Let me put it in context for you. My brother was born in 1977. My brother is the first fully educated generation of adults with disabilities, and he has extremely limited opportunities on a good day. And we live in a suburb of Chicago. We have resources everywhere, supposedly. But it's hard and it's sad. And there's a lot of scary things that are going through a special needs parent's mind right now. One of the biggest benefits that we can focus on right now is building a truly individualized program at home that is based on a child's strengths, And gives them the ability to self-advocate. Having a brother who is an adult in the disability community and in our community as a whole, him being able to self-advocate allows him more independence. We know that he can advocate when he's hurt, when he's sad, when he needs help. Parents and teachers work together and start building activities that are based on your child's strengths, their high interest activities, and gives them a stronger voice. Stop trying to take school and isolate it inside of your day at home. Instead, build the program that you're working on the team with into your daily routine because you're building strengths and skills for forever. You're building independence and self-advocacy for forever. You have an opportunity to really kind of take away that shock that happens when a child goes to school and at age 22 in most states, some states, it's, it's different than that. But federal law says up until 22nd birthday, some states choose to go longer than that. And they come home and it's like, now what? That now what is happening right now in remote learning? I'm putting a shout out to all my IEP teams that are listening right now. Dig in and figure out now what? child's at home, they need to continue learning. As an adult, they're going to need to continue learning too. At home as a child, they need to speak up when they are hurt, when they are sad, when they need help, and also when they're happy and they want to share an experience and they want to do something fun. Help them do that. So when you are leaving a child out of this decision and you're just trying to get to the next reading lesson, get to the next uh, speech session, get to the next thing. And you're forgetting that this is their forever, is figuring out how to become independent, how to self advocate, how to continue to learn, how to build on their strengths. You are doing an extreme disservice in that area of meeting a child's unique needs and individualizing their program to prepare them for the future. So think real hard about what opportunities are you missing in this home environment and are you including the child in the decision-making? Are you literally asking the child, what do they like? What do they don't like? Are you teaching them how to share their feelings? Are you teaching them how to ask for help? Are you teaching them to be more independent? This is the time where you truly can Focus on the child being the driver. And that doesn't mean that the child gets to do whatever they want all day long. That's not what I'm saying. When I say the child is the driver, it's that, you know what? We don't have seven other students to manage during this time that we're doing, let's say, speech therapy. Okay. Some of you guys have your speech therapy sessions set up like that. Most of you don't. Most of you have some consult minutes. Most of you have some other things that are, that are happening. So you have the chance to individualize it. Remember when I said you could be flexible on things? What if instead of showing up for a 30-minute group session that the child won't even look at the screen, that we reduce that to a 15-minute consult session to achieve some of these things that we're just talking about? Did I say take away their services forever? Nope. Did I say change the IEP for when it goes back to school? Nope. Did I say we need an IEP meeting to make this happen? Nope. (laughs) Okay. There's a lot of things that we can do. There's a lot of things that we can change that we can adjust. So strengths-based and self-advocacy and student input. Teachers, parents, have you asked the child what they want to do for school? Do you know in the homeschool community, they do that all the time. They say, oh, look, this child's really into Legos. All of a sudden, everything has to do with Legos. Reading lessons are Legos. Science lessons are Legos. Social studies is Legos. Field trips are Legos. <laughs> Everything's about Legos. There's a lot of homeschoolers that are doing virtual teaching right now, all with the screens on while they're building Legos. Everything turns out to be that. That is a strength that is self-advocating of this is a tool that I like to use. And then they're building upon that and really building skills based on the child's strengths and their interests. And they're encouraging that self-advocacy inside of all of that process. Okay, you guys ready for the last mistake that we're gonna talk about? And then I'm gonna go through some more questions here. Um, We've got lots of them, keep on posting them below. There is a mistake that's happening, and that's the opportunity to try something new. Right now, we're so stuck. We've talked a lot about how we're trying to make this old, you know, plan work in this new environment without doing some adjustments. But we're also missing the opportunity to really try something new. Now, in most parts of the country right now, you know, uh, the horseback riding uh, stables that are not too far from your house they're probably open have you ever wanted to try your child with horseback riding there's a lot of there's a lot of therapy centers that are actually based inside of the barn not kidding you when i say that okay you can get your ot your pt and your speech during your horseback riding lesson not kidding it happens it's beautiful it's awesome there's quite a few of them around in this area but i also know of quite a few around the nation and there what about swimming have you been wanting to have time, I wish my child could go to swim lessons, but they can't, guess what? Now we could have swim lessons and because we're in virtual learning, you the parent can go ahead and reach out to the team and say, I'm gonna take my child to swim lessons, I need some visuals, I need some encouragement, um, you know, I need some behavior motivi- uh, behavior modification or motivators um, put into this. Um, I, I need the team to be on board, giving us some language and vocabulary that goes along with swim lessons. We need some video modeling. We need some different things to happen so I can get my child to swim. Shelly just said therapeutic writing centers are amazing. Thanks for those words. I lost those words as I was like therapeutic writing centers. There we go. That's what you're gonna wanna get Google um, to figure that out. Um, let's see, Mila says, you just helped me out so much. I'm so glad that you're here, Mila. Uh, you just uh, My son is obsessed with bubbles and everything bubbles. Now I can get him to learn math, science and reading. Just incorporate bubbles. Absolutely, all about the bubbles. Hop on to Amazon, go find all the bubble deals and have all all things bubbles. OK, there's so much, you know, you can do cooking with bubbles. You can do all these different science experiments with bubbles. Fantastic. I love that. Have fun, Mila. I love that. So Shay says personalized learning. As we were talking about self-advocacy and having these student-centered activities and having these voice, Shay says personalized learning. And Shay is a um, special education teacher who has um, been in the field for decades. She's also a master IEP coach, which again, you can come interact with Shay and the other experts like Shelley, um, who is here inside of the special ed inner circle. Let's see. Uh, self-advocates is a major issue. Yes, it is. Okay, so Kathy, I knew that this comment was coming. There's probably somebody else who posted this also. She said, I'd be happy if our special ed department would just answer the phone or reply to emails. We get you. We understand you. And that right there is one of the main reasons that people join us over in the special ed inner circle is because we work on creating the effective, Letters, timelines, documentation that uses some of the education jargon and buzzwords without giving empty threats. Okay, so a lot of times, Kathy, and I'm sure this is not you, but I want you to understand that there's a lot of people that are sending threatening emails that have threatening phone calls. Um, and, and it's, I get it, it's based on anger, it's based on not hearing from people. But when you're getting all the negative, thrown at you, it makes it hard to respond to people like you, Kathy, in a timely manner, in a positive way, because they're assuming the worst. So remember, we talked about um, making sure that you're bringing a solution to the table. So if there's something specific, that you need an answer to. Please make sure that you're giving two to three solutions for this problem that you're having, that you have clear documentation and that you have timelines that are made. And um, we have Diana, who's over in the Special Ed Inner Circle also. Um, We have got Lisa, we've got Courtney, all of these people that I'm mentioning right now, Kathy, they can walk you through on how to really put that documentation in writing. Um, Bobby says, "Um, I'm 30 minutes late. Can I watch the replay? Absolutely. In fact, most people who are listening to this are going to be listening on the replay or on the podcast. Let's see. We've got a couple other questions here. If anybody else has questions, go ahead and pop them below. We're getting ready to wrap up here, but I'm going to take a few um, others. So Let's see. Rebecca says, phonics was taken out of the curriculum in my son's school. Last year, his junior high provided a phonics class. This year, he's in high school. This school is contemplating providing a virtual phonics class. How can I stress this is needed in order for him to learn to read? Data. I can't believe it took to the end for us to start talking about data, but you got to just really show the data. So Rebecca if I remember right, you're actually in our upcoming Master IEP Coach class. So you're going to be in the fall mentorship, which starts really soon. Um, and again, for those of you that are hearing that, and you want to know how to get there. That's at masteriepcoach.com. So Rebecca, you have to have the data of how that phonics program helped in the past or how any phonics program helped in the past and how the current situation you know, due to pandemic and due to not having that class, um, that there's not progress that's being made. Also have a couple of solutions. You know, a phonics program is um, not very um, expensive and without spending any money at all, there are phonics programs probably in your district everywhere. Somebody has some phonics programs from a little while ago Okay, probably decades ago, sitting in a closet somewhere in the school. Every teacher who just heard that went, Yup, I know that school closet. You have to like have friends who know where the closet's at of all the materials that you can go searching through to go find what you need for your students. So starting to implement, take some data. You want to make sure that if you do start to implement something, that you have baseline data of where your child's at now. And then as you start the program, that you document how much you're working on it, um, how much your child is engaging with it are you doing this, is the team doing this, and then take additional data. So it all has to be based on numbers, so not opinion. So an opinion would be, "Mm, my child used to do really well, and um, now they're not. The data would say, you know, according to the data, my child was doing whatever it was in phonics, however they were mastering, and now we've had regression, they can no longer do X, Y, Z, whatever, again, was being tracked in there. Christy has a great question. She says, what is the difference between an addendum and a contingency plan? So contingency plan um, and addendum. So these are very common words that are being used and it could be um, used interchangeably, um, you're going to hear a lot of that. So, again, you guys are listening all over the country, which means that some of your buzzwords that you use in special education are different than my buzzwords that I use. Um, and a lot of times when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm based in Illinois. So, you know, I'll go work in California and I have absolutely no problem saying, what does that acronym mean? What are you guys doing? Um, You know, explain to me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you call it this and I call it that. That's totally fine. So don't ever hesitate to ask what that means. So when I'm referring to this, um, so an addendum would be something that we've used forever in special education to add something into or take something out of an IEP. It's literally added onto the IEP. Here, we've made this adjustment. A contingency plan is like, if this happens, then we'll do this plan. So an addendum is happening. We made the addendum. This this is what now can a contingency plan be in the addendum? Yes. So you can absolutely say, okay, we're adding an addendum, which has a contingency plan for if school's not in, we do this. So To me, the contingency plan is standalone. To get it added into the IEP, we would do that through an addendum. Again, some of your buzzwords might be a little bit different um, in your district. So, all right, I have absolutely enjoyed spending time with you today, talking about some of the toughest topics that are happening right now in special education. You've got a lot of decisions to make. You've got a lot of information that you need to process to decide what's best. Here's the thing you need to follow what you know in your gut is best. Sometimes figuring out what your gut wants you to do is tough, especially in our current climate, because there's a lot of noise. There's noise from the news. There's noise from the school district. There's noise from the um, community that is not in special education. There's noise from our special education community. And I really wanna help you filter through all of that. Again, so five years from now, you can say you made the best decisions possible. And we can do that together inside of the Special Ed Inner Circle. I need you to really um, settle into that you are making the best choices possible and that you're exploring new ways to find what's appropriate to meet a child's unique needs and to prepare them for further education, employment, independent living. Remember, don't make these mistakes. Don't try to make what was working in the school work at home. Don't forget the student's voice for self-advocacy and using their strengths. Don't forget that you don't have to wait for an IEP meeting to get changes done, to really get things moving forward. This is not about catching up. This is about starting from where you're at right now today and getting the tools and the support and the ideas that you need to move forward. I can't wait to see you inside of the special ed inner circle.